Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player who is striving to play advanced level works one day. Specifically, Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every week, we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within, and hopefully we all walk away a little more informed and appreciative of classical music. This is episode 24.2, the second episode in a series called Music in the Time of COVID. It's a series where we're treading new ground by hearing less of my voice and instead hearing the composers speak for themselves. Last week, we heard a piece by Scotland-based composer Greg Herodine. And this week, we're going to hear from a young, lauded English composer named Frederick Viner. I found Fred through his YouTube channel, which is a must-subscribe channel for classical piano players. On top of releasing performances of his own compositions, he also has a series of videos analyzing popular classical works, not only educational, but also entertaining. One of the pieces that initially grabbed my attention was a catchy earworm with a driving rhythm called Chase. Fred himself describes it as his catchiest piece yet, and I concur. Throughout the pandemic, I often sought out methods of escapism as travel was out of the question. This piece fits that bill. I had the pleasure of chatting with Fred one morning about this very topic. We also talked about musical legacies, the elements of the piece Chase, and, of course, writing music during the time of COVID. I hope you enjoy my conversation with composer Frederick Viner. Well, Fred, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, I guess the best place to start is to learn how you entered a career in music. So was this a calling you followed from a very young age, or is this something you kind of just fell into over the years? Uh, Well, firstly, Andy, with that voice crack, I'd just like to (laughs) thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, It's a funny one with me because I started quite a bit later than a lot of musicians typically start. So that was around the age of 14. And so from that age, pretty much right through to now, it's been quite simple. Uh, Music has been pretty much the only thing I've excelled at. It's the thing I love the most. So unlike everything else in life, it was quite simple. Um, And once things got going, once I started studying music, doing more it just inevitably led to more music and it became the path of least resistance uh, when it came time. OK, what do I do next? Well, more music. That suits me. And that sort of led me to where I am today. So, yeah, it has been a vocation. But, yeah, like I said, not the kind of typical route. I wasn't um, a musical child. I was kind of an oblivious child who didn't really have much serious academic ambitions or anything um then I became musical and then everything changed. Well, that's sometimes you just fall into things and you play to your strengths and that's important too. Or strength. Um, <laughs> in my case. Speaking of your musical strength, it's a pretty good one because you have an impressive educational pedigree. You have, uh, let's see, bachelor's from York University, master's from Oxford. That's really impressive. Uh, you did a composer's residency at Eton. 
and now you're currently pursuing a PhD. So what are you driving toward? Uh, what would you say your dream job is or how do you envision your life's work? Um, I ask that to myself probably every single day. What What is it I'm driving towards? In short, I don't really know. Um, I think what I'd like to do is something that lets me share my passion for music. Um, that's quite a vague job description. And in reality, it would probably involve many different jobs rather than just one job. That's the nature of um, a musical career in the 21st century is that you'll be freelancing. So I'll probably carry on piano teaching, which is something I currently do. Um, hopefully I'll get a reasonable stream of commissions coming in as a composer. Beyond that, I don't really know, to be honest. Um, I've got a YouTube channel which seems to be opening up yet more and interesting avenues so i'll kind of see where that takes me yeah absolutely that's actually how i found you in the first place uh you have you put out a lot of interesting youtube videos on analyses of certain pieces and you're very skilled at that and uh, i think that's getting you a lot of publicity out in the world it's got me some and i just hope it continues that's the sort of scary fickle nature of youtube it it could next year not exist and so what what does that mean? You know, all that, all those subscribers, it would sort of amount to nothing. So I'd, I'd like a little bit more security than that. But I'm very optimistic at the moment. There's a steady growth to the channel. Um, so hopefully that'll get me some work down the line. We'll see. So, yeah, life's work. That's very hard to think about. Um, I don't really have the luxury of thinking long term right now. But, yeah, like I said, anything that lets me share my passion uh, hopefully convince other people to appreciate music as well. So That's one of my main missions as like well. That. So I share that with you. Good man. Uh, good man. It's a good one. Yeah, I agree. Uh, speaking of composition, uh, you're young in, in the early chapters of your career, but you've already been very impressively decorated with your compositional achievements. Uh, most notably, I wanted to comment on a first prize in the Mozarts of Tomorrow competition. Does a legacy like Mozart interest you at all? Uh, would you like to one day write music that is going to be played hundreds of years in the future and uh, have Frederick Viner be a name in composition for years to come? Or do you find that kind of an oddly pressuring legacy? I think anyone who says no is just lying. Um, <laughs> but But on the other hand, I think thinking about legacy, posthumous career, reputation, whatever, um, I'm not sure it's very helpful to think about musical tastes change wildly, even within one lifetime. And so trying to compose according to the tastes of future generations is just not probably not a recipe for uh, success or happiness. Uh, what I try and do is just be content with what I'm writing right now. Um, my outlook is that if anyone else enjoys my music, that's a bonus because I just don't think it's one of those things that you can control. I know so many talented people who write music and sometimes there's absolutely no correlation with their success. Mm. Sometimes, as as I'm sure everyone's aware, there's almost an inverse correlation. People with very little talent get a lot of exposure. Sure. So I just think you can't burden yourself with that sort of thing. The idea that your, your posthumous legacy, but also your legacy right now, it, it is largely out of your hands a lot of luck is involved all i can do is just show up do my best 
and yeah write music that i like that's my that's my one and only criteria if i like it chances are a few other people might and that's a bonus so no i wouldn't despite that um slightly cringy competition title which i was thrilled to win by the way sure. um, and but they, they've subsequently changed the name of that competition by the way because oh, uh, yeah, it, it it invites this kind of um let's say unrealistic comparison <laughs> um which yeah ultimately i think isn't helpful but but sure i'd love to be I'd love to be famous. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> well, you seem to have a very healthy mindset about the whole thing. Speaking of composition, it seems I've never composed anything. So uh, this is pure speculation, but it seems like it's a fairly solo sport. Um, but that must have been really put to the test in these past few years when we the world was experiencing this strange COVID pandemic that kept us all indoors and kept us extremely isolated for an extended period of time. How did you manage during these times? Did it affect your work negatively or did it perhaps oddly provide some positive inspiration? I think this just sort of speaks to the sad sort of situation of my work because COVID actually didn't make much of a difference at all. It was just as isolating composing in COVID as it was composing out of COVID. That's just my personal experience, but it did actually have quite a big effect uh, looking back with no commissions or very few opportunities, no performances, I only composed for me. Uh, I still wanted to compose. I had that itch I wanted to scratch. So the only person who was going to benefit from this music was me. And I was also the only person who could possibly perform it. So it was a shift in priorities. I was writing music as a hobby, again, something I, I, I used to do as a teenager. And uh, yeah, it seems to actually have changed the kind of music I've been writing, including some of the music we might be talking about a bit later. It kind of became a bit more, as in the music that is, the music became a bit more fun, carefree. So that's that's a sort of funny consequence, maybe as a kind of antidote to the stress of COVID, perhaps. But also I like, I like playing fun music. Um, I kind of think it's underrated especially in contemporary piano music. There's an, you know, we're not short on romantic, sentimental stuff. And sure, I've written a a bit of that as well. But I think, yeah, we could maybe all do with a little bit more fun, catchy, but also sophisticated piano music. So that seems to have been the effect of COVID for me. But um, yeah, sadly enough, it was just as isolating as it always is, to be honest. So that, that didn't actually affect me too badly. So let's talk about one of these pieces you're mentioning. Uh, One of the pieces that you wrote during this time was a piece from uh, March of 2021 called Chase. And you described it as, quote, your catchiest piece yet. And uh, I I agree. It's extremely catchy. It grabs your attention immediately and uh, you remember it. It's the reason why I found and subscribed to your YouTube channel, I'll be honest. And it's the piece that I wanted to highlight in this episode of the podcast. So uh, when I hear it, it sounds to me like a theme from a spy movie. Like I think of something like North by Northwest, which is a movie I love and I think of anytime. So it doesn't take much to recall that. But it's jazzy. It's playful. But there's this slight darkness running underneath it. Is there a, an interesting story behind its conception? Or were you kind of like you mentioned before, just trying to write something that was fun, a fun piece of escapism during a time when people were all stuck indoors? I'll be completely honest about this one. 
I don't really remember. But <laughs> the thing is about that, if I don't remember that, the chances are it went quite well, number one. And number two, um, it was quick. I wrote it quite quickly. So that's that's why I can't really remember. But I think all the things you say are true. I'm sure it's a piece of escapism. It's. I agree. I, I, I found it fun to write, uh, fun to play. And at least a few people have said it reminds them of particularly mu- uh, music from a Hitchcock film. Yeah. Which which wasn't sort of a, a goal, but it's fine. I think that's that's kind of spot on. I I love Bernard Herrmann and I love that music, so it wouldn't surprise me if some of that's filtered through. But yeah, I've actually mentioned just... on previous podcasts how much I appreciate and enjoy the music of Bernard Herrmann. So uh, it's funny you bring it. Well, of course I bring it up too, but uh, it's great to hear that you are also uh, a fan and inspired by him. Oh yeah, I wish more people brought him up. To be honest, it's. Uh, we're we're not we're pretty quick to bring up John Williams, which is fantastic. But I think there are some other film composers which are still very much, very much segregated to film and not just you know broadly speaking music. Because sure. why can't we be inspired by film music? But anything else to say about it? I don't know. I I definitely came up with the title later, and yeah, ultimately it's fun. Yeah, there is a sort of darkness. I think that's probably due to. Um, the inspiration of Prokofiev, I can point mm. to that as a very specific influence. These sort of sudden shifts into minor keys, these unexpected turns. That's, I think, essentially Prokofiev. I don't think I stole anything else aside from that. But yeah, I would agree. I would agree with your assessment. Fun escapism by movie stuff. Yeah, I like all of yeah. that. Awesome. So we're kind of already diving into this next part. Uh, the next thing I wanted to ask You've dedicated such a significant portion of your life to studying music theory, and I would love it if you indulged us with an inside analysis of your own work. Um, one of the most immediate things that grabs me is the rhythm. I'm not sure if you uh, can go into how you might have developed that or what you might have been influenced by, or honestly, anything else you'd like to discuss about the the keys to that make up this piece or the elements that make up the piece. Out of everything I do, piano, composition, teaching, analysis and theory takes up um, a large chunk of my life. And I often have to remind myself, really, what is the point of analysis? Because there are there are various points and sometimes there's no point whatsoever. So I think maybe what I could talk about is something that might benefit a a performer, things that might be helpful um, when it comes to learning the piece. So in that regard, I would say, yeah, the rhythm is catchy because it's a particular type of rhythm. You could call it three, three, two, ba 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 ba. Hope not too many plosives in that, but yeah, <laughs> one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. And if you just think about that for a second, I bet anyone listening will know songs, pieces of music, whatever, that follow that rhythm. It's absolutely everywhere. It's samba, it's jazz, it's it's classical music, it's Bartok, it's it's just absolutely everywhere. The three, three, two. Just if you remember that, that'll that'll unlock a lot of music for you. So I, I use three, three, two, and that's just going to make it catchy, regardless mm. of what I do. On top of that, I, I've at the very least got a catchy rhythm. So that's step one: is just to trace the three, three, two throughout. That'll affect the way you play it. Aside from that, the theme this sort of jazzy catchy theme hopefully is also everywhere it might be more places than you think when you first hear it this is this sort of reflects the way in which i compose where and it's just a very traditional way of composing where i try and write as much as i possibly can using the fewest ingredients 
So in this case, I have one theme, which is essentially two bars long, and I try and write everything in the piece just using those two bars. Um, that, so just uh, oh sorry go on oh no I was gonna say that sounds like you uh, are pulling a bit from Bach and it sounds almost like one of his inventions yeah. or maybe one of his symphonias or uh, the same Absolutely. premise behind that a short theme that you interweave between the hands in different ways exactly that's exactly it it's this sort of perennial principle of Western classical music just yeah getting as much as you possibly can from the fewest ingredients so with that in mind you just take the the main theme. And you'll find the, the supposedly contrasting middle is in fact more of the same, but it's adorned with different clothing, i.e. it's in a new key. It's moved around a little bit, but essentially the formula is still there. I think if you compared, you'd be able to spot the similarities. So that reflects how I compose, how I'm thinking about it, but it can also affect the way you play the piece. Maybe you bring out the similarity, uh, you play it in a similar fashion, maybe you don't, whatever. And I suppose this also leads to another part of analysis. It also doesn't have to be useful. It can just be interesting for interesting sake, just like, you know, opening up the, the bonnet of a, or not the bonnet, what would you say, the hood? The hood, oh, of, the the hood of the car? The hood of the car, So, yeah, bonnet in England, hood in America. But sometimes you actually want to see how it's all put together and it might not affect the way you drive, but it's interesting. So I, I kind of think of analysis in a similar sort of way. And so those are a few points to consider. What were they to summarize? The 3-3-2 rhythm, which is all the way through, and it's also in a lot of other music, and also the theme, the economy of material. That's a good way of describing it. So in just two bars, I pretty much, I can pretty much from those two bars generate a whole composition. Mm. Um, and although there's plenty of contrast, essentially they link back to that same theme. That's there great. You go. No, that's perfect. Two minute analysis. That's, that's such a great. <laughs> no, with those two things, you really nailed down such so like the heart of the piece. And uh, it's so interesting to hear the composer actually describe uh, what you were going for. So that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Especially impressive things. I really couldn't remember anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to stretch that memory, but is there perhaps anything else I might not have asked you about the piece that you'd like to highlight or? Um, bring up um i guess i could point out that prokofiev influence i mentioned earlier it's a it's where is it from it's a tarantula d which opus number is it it's one of prokofiev's children's pieces i think in d minor um it might have been on an abrsm syllabus anyway there's just a particular chord progression which is a minor triad and then a major triad a semitone below just though if you just whoever's listening try that out on your piano if you've got one a minor triad so let's take a d minor and then a major triad a semitone below so d flat major just play those two chords and you can write a piece off that it's they're just brilliant and that's that's what's underpinning chase oh so what is next for frederick viner in your life uh what current what things are you currently working on and what do you hope to accomplish in maybe the next let's limit the window to maybe the next couple of years something realistic <laughs> yes please um <laughs> immediately it's finishing off a phd i'm in the very very last few stages so i'm pretty much uh secluded in my cave and i won't emerge until there's a finished thesis uh, and as part of that also i've written four piano etudes 
which are probably my most ambitious pieces yet. They're quite different to Chase. They're quite different to anything I've done. More inspired by uh, contemporary etude composers such as Ligeti. Um, so that's kind of been preoccupying me for the last four years. And yeah, the, the very next few months will be yeah, trying to get over that finishing line. Beyond that, it's really hard to say. I'll just be <laughs> unemployed, so looking for work. But more, more of the same, essentially. I love writing, in particular, I love writing these piano miniatures. Um, so there's always something on the go. Uh, like I've said, YouTube is... You know, keeping me busy as well on the weekends. And uh, oh, I could I could actually quickly plug. Um, I've recently interviewed the American composer Lowell Lieberman, um, who is actually an enormously prolific American composer, written lots of piano music. And I had the privilege of talking to him and I will upload our conversation to my channel probably in the next month. Um, so stay tuned for that. Great. I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure that'll pop up on my algorithm as I'm subscribed to you. Um, well, I'll be very angry if it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you can't trust well, it. Yeah, I know. This 21st century technology, I don't quite understand how it works, but um, right. I'll be looking for that. And well, Fred, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you this morning for me. I know it's afternoon for you. And uh, thank you for allowing me to showcase Chase on the podcast. I would love to see the podcast evolve to include more episodes like this in the future. So I would love to have you return someday, maybe with another one of your pieces or maybe one of your etudes, as long as they're not too difficult um, and I'm able to play them. But um, in the meantime, how can we find you and your work? Um, I think the best place right now is to go on YouTube and just search my name, Frederick Viner. Um, I, I spend a lot more time on YouTube than updating my website. But if you do want to look on my website, it's again, frederickviner.com. Um, that's about it, really. Quite a limited presence on social media. YouTube and website will suffice. And you can find all of the links to the places Fred just mentioned right in the episode description. But for now, here is Chase by Frederick Viner in its entirety. Thanks again to Fred for coming on the podcast and being willing to share this piece with us. Best of luck finishing your PhD, 
and I'm looking forward to hearing your collection of etudes one day. I've included links where you can find Fred online in the episode description, as well as a link where you can purchase the sheet music for Chase, if you'd like to learn it yourself. Well, I suppose that does it for this little podcast experiment. These episodes were actually a lot of fun for me to make, and I'd like to do more of this in the future. There's enough classical piano music in the canon to keep a podcast like this alive for years to come, but I'm also interested in keeping a pulse on what's being written today. I said in the very first episode that I hope this podcast will naturally evolve, and these episodes made me realize a path that I'd like to pursue in the future. Hopefully you, dear listener, agree with me. But enough about long-term goals, let's talk short-term. In two weeks, we're going to return to the past and hear more selections by a returning composer to the podcast, Edvard Grieg. I'll talk to you then. You can find the standalone recording of the piece we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all of the tracks heard on this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider rating or reviewing. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode and it helps the podcast gain more visibility. Thanks as always for your time and your ears. And remember, the piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind.